Shut up and sit down. Welcome to This is Ibrox, the interviews. My name's Thomas McIntyre, and I am absolutely delighted to be joined by treble winner, uh, scorer of that goal against Parma, and uh, Australian international, Tony Vidmar. Tony, thank you so much for joining me. Good. Uh, I think it's good afternoon for you, uh, Thomas. Good evening from uh, from where I am. Uh, well, they, they all sort of merge together at the moment, to be honest with you. I'm sensing a lot nicer about you are than it is where I am, but... Um, yeah, so I mean, I suppose I might as well jump in with the, the first question there. How's the uh, how's the pandemic treating treating you? Yeah, it hasn't uh, hasn't been too bad uh, here in uh, Australia or where I'm in uh, in Adelaide. It's uh, the last I think the last fourteen days. I think there's like ten days where there hasn't been any um, any people con- contracting coronavirus. So it's uh, eased off. So restrictions are. Uh, becoming less and less. Uh, I think this week they are allowing restaurants to uh, to open, but I think with restrictions on outdoor outdoor eating uh, with distances. Um, but it's been it's been ha- hasn't been too bad. As uh, as I said earlier, um, you know golf courses here in Adelaide have been uh, uh, open. Uh, the only the only issue we had uh, probably about three weeks ago was no toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> It was unbelievable. Just yeah, I think people just lost the, lost the plot and uh, bought uh, excessive uh, toilet paper and uh, hand sanitizer. So they were struggling to uh, to come in. So uh, I've, uh, luckily now it's all back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was the same here in Scotland as well. I think there was a a, a black market for Andrex uh, and other toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you might on three corners at midnight. So it's just an absolute nightmare. But thankfully, yeah, as you say, people seem to calm down now. They understand it. Yes. So always yes. toilet paper. And in the worst case scenario, there's always kitchen paper. But um, yep. <laughs> let's, let's gloss over that really quickly. Um, so just starting to, to look back through your career, uh, yep. I'm really interested, you know, um, you break through, I think, Adelaide, 1989, uh, there around about, and I'm wondering, when you're breaking through at that time as a, as a young Australian player, was the focus always, I want to get to Europe, or was it just, I'm delighted to be playing professionally, I want to win trophies at Adelaide? How far did you see yourself going at that point? Uh, I think then I, I was at Adelaide. I went there in 1987, so uh, I, I left my junior club. Um, so 87 was a kind of a new kid on the block. Uh, and fortunately, at that stage, the, the coach was you know looking for local players and, and wanted to, to give young players an opportunity. So I was fortunate to, to be involved training with the, the first team for, for a little bit, not playing, uh, playing in the reserve competition. But uh, the, year, the year after, I kind of started to get a little bit closer to uh, first team action. Uh, and, and then my, my main focus was just to try to play, try to break into that first team, 
never ever thought of uh, playing for for my country, or let alone looking to go overseas and, and and make a career of it. So it was just happy to be there. It was a club that you kind of grew up watching um, as the time went on, and then being a part of it was uh, for me was was a thrill and uh, an excitement. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking then you you work through Adelaide, you get yourself a, as an established player. Like you say, you've come across in the, in the local rise mm-hmm. under threes. Then you get into the, the Australian team, or the unders as well. You go to the Olympics in 92, I think that's Barcelona. Yep. Uh, I seem to recall the Freddie Mercury soundtrack uh, to that, that Olympics. And I, I'm just wondering, the semi-finals off the top of my head, I think you guys get through to. What's it like as a as a young player going into Europe, presenting sorry, representing your national team? I mean, it's a, it's a massive difference from, from club football. I'm, I'm wondering, yep. in terms of preparing yourself for that, what was that like for you? I uh, look um, that that whole so that '92, even '91, I broke into the senior national team uh, as a 21 year old. So, and again, I'd only been playing, you know, I'd play probably 50. 50 games for my club. So it was kind of a, uh, a bolt out of the blue that I was selected in the national team. And uh, so I had a, you know, had a fairly busy year with that, with the 91, with the national team, and then also uh, joining that with the Olympic team. Um, we went to the Olympics and no one really gave us a chance. No one, you know, no one thought that we could actually get, of a, get out of a group. Um, it was a very talented group. Uh, we kind of knew what we wanted to uh, wanted to achieve, and we had that bit of, you know, larrikin about us. You know, 20, 21 year old boys. You know, going to uh, you know being in a village, uh, and I think we probably just enjoyed ourselves more than probably some of the other Australian athletes, the swimmers, especially they're so focused and they and their competition. You now they they look for four years for a, for, for their event. You know, we looked at it as a uh, a fun time and. Uh, um, we probably shocked a lot of people um, through that uh, that phase. You know, after the first game, we're probably already looking at all going to get knocked out because we lost to uh, to Ghana, uh, drew to Mexico, and then we had to beat uh, Denmark, which we did. And then from there, it just kind of like flew flew on. And even even at that stage, I was probably had one eye on on heading to uh, to Europe at that stage because. By then, I think that uh, I'd done everything I could in Adelaide and was looking for that uh, next challenge in my uh, in my football career. Do you think, I mean, some of those players within that that younger squad, so to speak, that you touch on, would put it on like yourselves to become mainstays of the Australian uh, mm. team for the next what, 10 years uh, in there somewhere? I'm wondering, was there a feeling that Australian football at that period, just in that early 90s, was a bit of a... And maybe you, you mentioned this with the other athletes uh, was a bit of the stepchild in terms of Australian sport. Did it, it still have to really make it big? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. We we were looked at well because that was the first time also it was an under twenty three competition. So people looked at us, us as a junior team and didn't really take us too serious. We didn't take ourselves serious, but we went out when when we when we had to work, we worked. When we off the field, we had fun. We enjoyed ourselves. And, and during that, and probably through that early 90s, that was probably when Australian players were starting to, to make a bit of an in-row in Europe. You had Frank Farina in Belgium, David Mitchell 
uh, who was in, in Europe, um, Eddie Krenchevich. So they were three three names that started the, um, you know, the being pioneers of, of Australian football to head to Europe. Uh, and I think once that three started, then there was myself, there was Paul Icon, there was Ned Zelich, Mark Bosnick was already there. So all of a sudden, Australian players became popular because they're also cheap as well at that stage. Um, and then it just, it started to build. Uh, and I think one thing that um, football teams in Europe liked, liked us was our mentality. We had a winning mentality. We didn't uh, stop until the very end. Um, and I think that uh, helped, uh, helped a lot of players. Plus, I think we had that ability where we had some decent uh, players who could, who could play. Um, and it was probably the start of, you know, the generation. And, you know, the talk here, they continue to talk about that early 90s, late 90s as a golden generation of Australian footballers. Well, obviously, if you, if you source any other bargains and uh, your Australia role, which we'll touch on later at the moment, please feel free to give Rangers a call. We, we love a bargain. <laughs> so we'll get, on, get on the block on you, right? Yeah. That. Um, but I'm wondering, it's really interesting, you're, you're saying there about, the mentality and thinking you've maybe done everything you could at Adelaide and the players working hard, but also becoming more fashionable in, in terms of European yeah. football and being picked up. Were you being looked at within the squad and being asked questions, or where was your head at? Because you'd cycled through Beershot at that point uh, as well in terms of your loan. And I'm just wondering, that didn't quite work out. I, I know you've spoken about this before. I'm wondering yep. if that changed your mentality about what it was like going away with the national team versus what it was like, which is the group mentality, you're all there, versus going away yeah. and striking out into Europe. Did that fire you up to get back into Europe and maybe hit it more success this time? Yeah, yeah. It was, look, it was, as, as I said, I, I was called up to the national team 91. We went on a few tours during that 91, 92 as well. We had some Olympic tours before we went to the Olympics. So for that 18 months, I was actually away from, from home for a fair bit. Went to the Olympics and done my deal probably towards the end of the Olympics. Um, kind of knew that I was heading heading to uh, to Germinal Akron. It was back then. Um, so I was yeah thinking okay this is this is what I want to do. This is what I you know what I the expectation of European football was was uh, was massive. You know it was an unknown for me. Uh, went there and kind of, yeah, kind of was disappointed. It wasn't what I expected. Um, and I think as that six months went on, I probably kind of lost my interest there uh, and felt and felt that, uh, you know, at the winter break, came back, back to Adelaide uh, and kind of like, yeah, you know, I probably missed maybe a few years of my life uh, at back home, which I wanted to, to make up or catch up. Um, so my head was probably not in the right space to go back to uh, to Belgium to to continue on, and yeah, and and myself and the club had a we came to an agreement that I could return back to to my club in Adelaide. So it wasn't uh, yeah, it was it was a different experience. It was probably something that I needed because two years everything was going well for me. I had that setback. I probably didn't know how to deal with that setback properly. Um, and then when I came back, then I think it gave me that realization that as the season went on with Adelaide, that I need to do things differently. 
Um, and yeah, you, you, you learn from those experiences and hopefully those experiences take you on further to the, you know, especially in football, it's, uh, it's not easy. Well, exactly. I think there's always crossroads moments. It certainly sounds like that was one of yours. I think I'm always interested as well, that particularly, I think this was probably before the, and we can touch on this with Nak Breda as well, before the real formation behind the scenes with a lot of clubs of having that infrastructure whereby a foreign player comes in and there's a whole team that settles you into the country and makes mm. sure you're set up with an apartment and, you know, things to do and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's right. It's and uh, yeah, that's you, you you know that's that's a big thing. You know, especially you know, and, and I was young, I was single, so you know, the club didn't have to worry about you know making sure my wife was happy and things like that. Uh, but it was a similar thing. You know, you know, had to work hard to find an apartment. Found that they kind of dumped you in there, and then it was like you left on your own. And you know, you go into a, a foreign country, you don't know how things work and how the rules are so you kind of on your own you you don't mind that for a while but then it gets to a point where you think mm, something doesn't something something doesn't add up right something doesn't feel 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 right and uh, and and, I, and that's probably what happened with me i just had that gut feeling that uh, you know it wasn't uh, the place for me to be yeah so, so you get yourself out you go back uh sadly, yep. and then you know we'll, we'll quickly cycle through that because you end up going to uh nak breda nak breda and uh, yep. I'm, I'm working on my Dutch pronunciation there, uh, obviously, to, to get that, that nailed down. Done, done very well. Oh, thank you very much. But you get there, and that's a, that's a big move in terms of Dutch league's always one that's, you know, people can speak about the quality of it sometimes, but it's always mm -hmm. one that's looked at. And again, you're going into that uh, permanent move. It's a, it's a big transition from We've come out of the back of what we've just spoken there about maybe being a yep. different Tony Tony Bidmar now in terms of understanding yep. what you want. I'm just wondering, was that the only club that was looking at you in Europe at that point, or why why Breda? Uh, well, it's uh, at that stage I was yeah I was wanting to head back to uh, to Europe, and at that stage was uh, Graham Arnold, the current national team coach. He was on loan there. From I think he was at Chalois, so he was on loan to uh, to Nak Breda, uh, and he he was a success there, scored a lot of goals, um, and they they liked him. So they were they were searching for a left back, and they actually spoke to him. You know, do you know any Australian left backs? At that stage, I was still with the national team, so knew knew Graham well, and uh, and he said, well, I know someone, and uh, and the club knew. So he mentioned. Who, mentioned me uh, mentioned my name to him so the club knew that i was in belgium a few years ago and um and graham said look you know how it is belgium holland's a different mentality i don't i don't think you'd have any issues here so he called me uh, and graham that was the first thing he said he goes belgium and holland different mentality different outlook in football back then how it uh, how it was um, he said you enjoy it i think this is uh, the right club for you uh, so that was that was the opening that I that I wanted, and um, yeah, was the the right uh, moment for me to uh, to head back. Um, learnt from the years before, and I've thought, well, I'm, I'm I've already got that package already in my suitcase ready. So if anything does happen like that, then I'm prepared for it. Uh, so and that were the only club at that stage. There was 
there was some interest from some clubs in England, but nothing really definite. Uh, but this was the one that was uh, was 100%. So you get yourself in, into, into Holland, you obviously make a, a success of it. And then yep. you, you get to the end of your contract, or coming towards the end of your contract, I should say. Yep. Football's went through that really turbulent period in trying to understand what Bosman meant yes. um, for players as well. And then your agent mentions that, that Rangers might be interested. And I imagine, again, that there's other clubs looking at you. I'm just wondering from the outside how aware of Rangers and the size of the club were you at that point? probably appreciate old firm games, etc. would have been on TV in Holland. Mm. But yep. um, had you spoken to anybody else? So take me into that conversation when Rangers first come Yeah, out. yeah, that's 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 a good one because back then, mid-90s, is, you know, we didn't really have the internet. And uh, so it's not one way you could actually uh, Google or whatever to, to find out about the club. You knew of the name. And again, you knew the old firm games. Uh, and... That was probably the the much that you heard, you know, and people even you know the Scottish people in Holland who you know Rangers or Celtic, uh, so that was a that was a big thing, um, and at that stage that was a I think it was just after the winter break, so it was probably early February was our first game back, uh, and my agent said, look, uh, Rangers is coming to uh, to watch you. There's some other clubs interested in Holland and in England. Um, so I said, well, we'll just see what happens. So they came to uh, to watch the game. And as you said, um, and I said to my, my agent said to me, he goes, do you want me to tell you that if a club is coming or not? And I said, yeah, I want to know. I want to know that uh, the club is coming. So then I'm, I'm prepared for it. Um, and yeah, had the, had the game. I think it was away to uh, Sparta, Rotterdam. And uh, I think it was Walter Smith who came to uh, to watch the game. Um, and at that stage, the club not wanted me to uh, to stay on, uh, but we never really sat down to uh, discuss anything in contract. Um, and um, after the game, I think it was a Sunday, Sunday night, got the phone call from my agent. He says we're flying to uh, Glasgow on Tuesday morning. So it was for me that was the impressive part that the club knew what they wanted, didn't um, really dilly-dally about just went if they wanted a player they went and got him um, and for me that was yeah that was enough as I said there was other clubs who showed interest who, who we spoke to but nothing really confirmed of uh, of what it is so I flew into uh, into Glasgow not even knowing what the contract was um, and um, yeah and, and my agent who's uh, uh, told me a bit about uh, Scottish football and, and also about uh, Glasgow Rangers uh, so for me, it was okay. This is a big step, uh, and and I knew that it was a big step. Yeah, I mean, uh, for any of the younger um, listeners, it's probably important to to mention our ages here, Tony, because <laughs> <laughs> um, they just will not get that at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take keys, not touch screens. Um, so yeah, I, I think there was that feeling about Rangers at that point in time, um, and certainly come back after our, our recent troubles that really classy behind the scenes so I think you touched on that there you know there's a there's a yep. flight we want something yep. to get over and yep. then that's dealt with and so I'm just wondering as well it's really interesting to me when a club's making that approach and somebody comes to watch you so for example uh, Walter Smith yep. comes to watch you um, 
speak, you get a chance to speak with them there and then after that game, or is there a you know you cycle through your own um, dressing room type of thing, and then maybe the agent catches up with you? I mean, I'm just wondering, actually, just for my own interest and my listeners, what yep. that looks like. Yep. Yeah, now that was, uh, I think with that one there, I think uh, Walter just flew in, flew in the morning of the game, then flew out straight after the game. So um, for us, it was an away game. So uh, I didn't uh, see my agent. I didn't see anyone in the stand. So for me, it was just to go out there and, and do the job. But you you do have those situations where possible, you know, agents and clubs will, will speak to a player straight after a game. That uh, that uh, that can happen. But in this case, it's... Uh, it, it never was in that uh, in that way. I'm, I'm bound to ask you. Who, who else are you are you speaking to in England? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how how true how true it was. Um, my agent said that. Uh, well, he spoke to Ajax, Ajax Amsterdam, and also then Man United at that stage. Um, so there was, and again, they were. I don't know how far in discussions. And that was the one thing that I left with my agent. I said, call me when you've got some news. So, um, and, and I said at that stage, it was, I've spoken to them. Um, they know your details. So we'll, we'll leave it from that. So. Always good to, always good to hear us um, beating, beating any other club to the, to the punch for a, for a big signature. But, and it testament yep. also to the, the performances that you were putting in in, in Holland. That not only Ajax but Man United and Rangers and thankfully yeah. you land you. I'm interested then you, you come across and sign the contract and you, uh, that gets signed you're ready to join the club. Yep. What's your impressions of Walter Smith uh, in those moments because we always hear from players when they're, when they're um, mentioning in the, in the news or whatever they get ready to sign a, for a club or I spoke to the manager uh, and you'll get this as well in your, your current roles and the, the managing duties mm. you do as well and coach. I spoke to the manager, he shares my vision of a player, etc. I'm interested in what those conversations look like. Oh, um, well, there wasn't really any um, before, until I signed, until I signed, that was when I, um, excuse me, when I met uh, Walter. And uh, yeah, just, uh, it's just a, I don't know how you can describe it, it's just an aura about him. You know, he, you know at times he doesn't say much, but what he does say, you actually listen. Uh, so that was the one thing that you kind of respected uh, respected him in, in many ways in, in, in what he did and what he achieved. Uh, but uh, yeah, when he when he needed to say something, you definitely heard it. And you ever, uh, on the end of it? Uh, I don't think I was. I don't think I was. No. Lucky man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> Yeah, leave it to somebody else to get it and sit yeah. on and watch it. Um, yeah. I, I, I hear from speaking to, to other people as well that uh, uh, Walter wasn't, when it needed to be done, he wasn't uh, short on being able to tell players exactly mm. what was expected of them in, in, uh, in yep. the dressing room. Yep. So you, you come across, you sign, you come into the dressing room. I'm interested then, this is a... You know, in, in respect of what you were saying there about other teams looking at you, um, I would have thought when I, I remember you, I remember you signing, relatively unheralded, so so to speak, in terms yep. of um, yep. you know, Scottish understanding. Um, you know, maybe some of that speaks to our insular view of, uh, of football sometimes in this country. <laughs> um, you come across relatively unheralded. 
coming into that team, you walk into the, the dressing room and there's some really big names in there already. You know, your Gascoigne, your Loud, obviously your Alberto Pisa, and Scott comes back in yep. um, a little bit later as well. There's an established network of relationships there. Um, yep. So what we're introducing is you. I'm wondering who's the first player that maybe takes you under the wing, or is it easy to identify who the key leaders are in the dressing room when you walk in the door? Yeah, it's uh, as you said. You walked in, you know, even walking in the front door of the building, that's that's already intimidating. Mm. You know, you walk in there, the staircase, and you just think, just yeah, you're you're overpowered. You feel you feel uh, helpless. You know, it's kind of like um, um, you know, masses of water or earthquake. You know, it's just nature. It's a big. It's a big. It's bigger than you are. Uh, so that was that was a hard one to uh, to to really take on. But then walking into the change room, as you said, there was already players who've been there for a number of years, established big name players, and again, then that becomes even more intimidating um, because every day on the training field you've got to perform. If you want to, if you wanted to break into the team, you had to perform, and and it wasn't easy because you started you started at the bottom, so you had to work and work and work your way up. Uh, and, and probably the you know and uh, the, probably the player who helped me at the start there was was Craig Moore, you know he was uh, he was there he was a young player up and coming player, uh, had been playing in the first team, so he kind of uh, helped me and guided me in that uh, that early stage which was uh, which is always nice to uh, to to come across a, a fellow countryman who uh, knows uh, knows how it works and. And for, for, for Maury, he's probably, then he was more Scottish than Aussie. So uh, he was, uh, he was a, a very good, uh, a good person to, uh, to have uh, helping you work your way through, uh, through, you know, through how the club works. Any hazing rituals that, uh, that, that you can tell us? No, well, I can remember when I got there, uh, I think the first thing Maury said, well, you need to get yourself to, uh, Armani or Versace and go buy you some suits because you need to be wearing suits when you come into uh, the training. So that was, again, that was, I was like, okay. So, you know, you come to, you come to work, you come to training with uh, wearing a uh, uh, shirt and tie. And that was, uh, was every day. And um, you totally, again, you totally respected it. You're going to work. So other people are going to work as well who have to wear a shirt and tie. So it's, uh, it's the same thing, and uh, standards, Tony. I hope you've still got a pair of brown brogues somewhere. Uh, in the <laughs> well, I, I hardly, I have, I'm, I'm more of a now, I'm so much more of a jeans and a t shirt or, uh, or a jumper. So I need to look for where, where everything is these days. I'm just, it's a probably a really good moment then to, to ask. And we'll touch on some of this later as well. But spoke about Craig Moore there, and we've got you know, Kevin Muscat in the future as well. Yep. Best Australian ever to play for Rangers? Uh, uh, I thought you might be really quick say, with that answer there. No, 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 no. Uh, look, I think uh, Craig Maury Maury had a fantastic, uh, fantastic career. He had, uh, you know. He, he he probably found it difficult as well as a young kid coming through. Um, tough, 
tough school to uh, to break into, and uh, and he done it, and then um, disappeared for a little bit, and then came back, and then probably excelled excelled uh, later on, and uh, was definitely a uh, uh, a club uh, club legend. I'll, I'll go for Tony Vidmar. There, there, there we go. Um, <laughs> there, there we are. Uh, strangely enough, one of my colleagues is actually due to sit down and have a conversation with Craig Moore um, in the coming days, actually. So that's okay. an interesting conversation uh, as well. So but on that, uh, I'll make sure that I pass your comments about uh, Craig Moore to him. Um, I might change them and say yep. that, uh, that you absolutely said that you were miles ahead and uh, Craig Moore wasn't one of the <laughs> He'll probably agree with that. Well, with, with Maury, I can remember, and, and I still speak to Maury. We, we're really close. We're, we're, you know, we're constantly in contact. I'll probably have to call him this week anyway. But I can remember him. I think we had a preseason game in Norway. Um, and I think it was probably the third or the fourth game. It was one of our last games. And uh, Maury started, and I was on the bench, and I was probably happy because I think we were, we were knackered by then. And after about 15 minutes, he was having a stinker. And uh, and Dickie says, All right, Tony, you're coming on. And I went, Oh shit. I didn't want to, I didn't want to come on. It was like 15 minutes of like, just let this game finish. So Maury's coming off after 15 minutes. And as he's coming off, he's got this, he's having a giggle. He's having a giggle, and he goes, Sorry, son, but I owe you one. <laughs> and I said, You bastard. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, that's, a, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting one. One that I'm just wondering as well. Then, your your first season, I think it's probably fair to say a difficult step uh, in terms of didn't really nail down the position. It certainly looked from the outside that it was it was yeah. difficult. I'm wondering how much of that was some of the expectation you speak about, new country, new club, getting into a team that was already so well established in terms of yeah. in their position, but also the, the, the kind of nuance and differences of the, the actual game in Scotland versus Holland, which was, I think it's probably still fair to say, technically superior, but a hell of a lot slower. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah you're spot on. Perfect. Yep. Exactly. That was the one thing, as you said, you know, trying to break into the team when you get an opportunity and you played so-so, then, you know, it, it made it difficult for you to be in the starting with. But again, the, the physicality of, of the Scottish football compared to Holland was, you know, chalk and cheese. And that's probably where I struggled in that, more so that I felt that I had enough time on the ball, I could take my time and that doesn't, and that didn't happen. You know, by the time you got the ball, you've already got someone on you, and they're ready to to tackle you, and you know from behind you, from the side. So um, that was definitely something that I really struggled with. Um, and again, you know, in training, you're working and doing all that, but when it came to the game, it was just that hard to switch over from Dutch football to Scottish football, uh, and definitely was. Um, I think that probably was the big contributor for me not cementing my place in the in the team. Yeah, certainly in, in Scotland as well, where the referees seem to, um, you can come through the back of a player and you just get to be talking to, that's your first one, and you don't get yep. a card till, till, till later on. I'm wondering for you then, you were still you know, making 
Gaelic teams from the Australian national team, we've got the Confederations you know, Cup, for example. I maybe won't speak to you in too much depth about that final. Um, we'll, we'll gloss, we'll gloss yep. over it and blame it on, blame it on Mark Viduka for getting sent off. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was he thinking? Um, uh, so, I'm just wondering, you've got that still on, on the play, and players are always worried about representing their, their country. Mm-hmm. Is there a moment in that season where you think, do you know what, I could maybe reopen some of those conversations back in Holland or down south, or was it a case of, I'm not going anywhere until I get that girl? Yeah, it's definitely, I want to I wanna stay uh, and prove, and, more, and prove to myself, you know, that, uh, that I could be at a club the size of uh, of Rangers and and be a, a regular player and uh, and put in a performance that the club and and supporters appreciate uh, and, and as you said I came into the club as a, a really as an unknown so you've actually got to really prove yourself from 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 day dot um, and again that was difficult so no I had no intentions of of leaving I thought this was a uh, this was a place for me to be. Um, and I just needed to adapt quicker. Uh, and, and that first season, as I said, that first season was a learning experience. Um, and some players can take six months, three months, 12 months, and I probably took probably the wrong end of, of that 12 months. But it's an interesting one, you know, I think when you first start watching football or, or looking at it, it's hard for non-players, uh, like you know, people like myself, obviously, um, I don't think buying a side's from the local park. <laughs> um, but I can send you my clips highlights video if you want. Sorry, I've, you know, I can, and I could probably dig out an Australian grandmother at some point as yep. well if, uh, if there's a cap going. But um, you know, it's hard to get your your head around the fact that, or away from the fact that it's the same game. How can it not just be you go yep. from one country and you go to another and then instantly slot in? There's a whole you know range of issues that affect that and people sometimes forget that professional athletes and players are, are humans and we touched on some of the mm. moving country, moving family stuff that affects yep. you on a day-to-day basis. Yep. I'm also wondering as well, as, as a Rangers fan, that's a seminal season, you know, going for 10 in a row and stuff like that. I'm wondering from inside the, the dressing room, you've got a really tight-knit unit who have been through everything and then all of a sudden Potter Smith says, I'm going. Uh, yep. My personal opinion here is that was the wrong move to publicise that at that point in time. Uh, it should have been held off to the end of the, the end of the season because I think it does have an impact. But there's also, and it mirrors right now uh, under Stephen Gerrard or certainly this season, playing really well up to Christmas, come back, and the performances seem to really drop off after Christmas. Is that, mm. is that fair in your mind? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think that's the, uh, as you said, that's uh, when Walter made that decision. I think that, you know, uh, not to say that he he stopped coaching. No, he, he continued on to do that. But I think that probably affected a lot of the players who've been playing a long time there. Uh, and he just said the ten in a row. So I think that had probably a, a bigger impact on those boys because then it became, okay, well, who's a new coach coming in? What's going to happen to me next season? It becomes that unknown, and the probably the focus moves away. What we should be doing to to things out of our own control. There's nothing we, we can't really control that. But uh, uh, yeah, look, that was that was something that uh, that happened, uh, which was unfortunate. 
Um, but uh, yeah, definitely, I, I think it definitely played a part in in, in the way the season uh, season finished. Yeah, always be a always be a what if. Um, yeah, like yeah. Moment. Um, but that happens. We get to the we get to the summer. McAdvocat um, sweeps into power. I'm wondering how how aware of you were, uh, how aware of him were you from these PSV days? Obviously, you've come out of mm. that Freda. Is yep. this somebody that you had just played against, or is it somebody you knew more about and played against? No, no. Yeah, it was more more playing against these teams and um, he had a lot of good players in his team that played a lot of good attacking football. So my thoughts was, well, he wants to play a, you know, an attacking brand of football. Um, and, um, well, he came in um, with a lot of players that uh, moved on and then he brought in a lot of players. So there was a big, big turnover of, of players. Uh, so you knew that uh, he meant business. Uh, and as you said, it was probably um, an exciting time as well because, yeah, what uh, what he achieved at uh, at PSV, and do you think that well, that's possible? What he could do at uh, at Rangers. For you personally, he he comes in and uh, spoke to to Ronald De Boer recently as well for this is Ibrooks, and he was talking about the influx of Dutch players, and that also that comes slightly later, but. He brings in Giovanni van Bronckhorst, who can play left back. Well, a natural midfielder, but he can play left back. I think he ended up playing left back for, for Barcelona as well. And Arthur Newman. You're sitting there and you're, you're looking at, at these guys coming in and the nationality, and these are his big purchases. Lots of money going out the door. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where, where's, where's your head? Are you on the phone to the agent? Is the agent on the phone to you? Um, to say, well, okay, or do you have a quick, how quickly does he have a conversation with you? To lay any fields. Does he lay any fields? Yeah, well, uh, that's uh, in the in the preseason. My agent spoke to him because, yeah, as you said, Arthur Newman came in. Giovanni Brunk, Van Broncos can play left back. He had uh, Stoli Stenzas as well, another left back. So there's four of us, and I spoke to my agent. I said, "Well, find out what's uh, what's happening." So my agent spoke to him, and he said, "No, you're staying. You're not going anywhere." So for me, that was okay. Then uh, there's some serious business to uh, to be done here. So it was, uh, as I said, there was a, a you know international players coming in, and you thought, well, okay, well, last year was challenging. This year is going to be even more challenging, trying to uh, to break into the team, um, and knowing how you know how the Dutch operate. I thought, well, I'll maybe have a little advantage of that, so I'll try to make uh, make the use make the use of it. Um, and I reckon it was probably two three weeks into preseason training, he called me into his office and said that um, because he needs to offload some players, so he said that I'm free to leave. Um, so he said, if a club comes in, you can leave. Um, and I said to him, well. I thought actually everything was going well. And he goes, yep, I agree. Things are going well, but I've got Stolli, I've got uh, Arthur, I've got Giovanni. So there's too many too many players in your position. So if you can find the club, that's uh, it'll be probably in your best interest. So from that, I moved and trained with the reserve team with uh, with Bomber Brown. And um, so I reckon it was for a... Train with the, train with the first team? You were... No, no. He wanted me to um, move away. 
so maybe that's he thought that uh, I would be a distraction or whatever. That was uh, that was his decision. How do you, how so do you do that if you're being told, listen, you've worked with these guys for, for twelve months. Yeah. Go and train with the go and train with the young lad. That, that's yeah. a really tough moment for a player. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And then you know that your time is up. So it's yeah, it's uh, yeah disappointing with that. But then also you're training with the younger players and then you still actually got to show the younger players that uh, you're a professional. Uh, and that was a good thing. There was some good kids coming through there, so you didn't want to disappoint them. So uh, and Brownie was uh, was great. So I trained, trained for a few weeks and then uh, uh, I reckon it was, uh, I think it was Bomber called me up and said, oh, you've got to go and train with the first team. And I said, how does that work? <laughs> I've been training here for a few weeks. He goes, no, there's, someone's got injured, so you've got to head down there. And I thought, well, I'll probably just go down there and uh, fill, in, fill in a number and then come back in a few weeks, whatever happens. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Uh, Arthur Newman got injured. Um, I think they didn't, he didn't want to put Giovanni as a left back. And I think Stolli uh, was injured as well at that stage. Um, so came and trained with the team and played, I think it was St. Johnson at home. Uh, and yeah, and the rest is kind of history from that because uh, played played well in that game, played again, I think the week after. Uh, and then the, the funny thing was I said to my agent, I said, we're still looking, he goes, you're still looking for a move? I said, well, he said, well, go and knock on his door and uh, ask him if the uh, transfer is still still on to have it in writing. So I went and knocked on the door on, on on Dick's door, and he's like, "What do you want?" And I said, uh, "You know, I'm transfer. You told me I'm transfer free. I can find a new club. Can you put that in writing?" He goes, "No, no, no. You're not going anywhere now." <laughs> yeah, what were you talking about? I never said that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's and have, that's football. Yeah, did you have a club no, like in the background? No, 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 not at all, not at all, and. and it works out, you know, you get back into the squad. Obviously, never nice to, to get back in when someone's injured, but no. at the end of the day, you need to, once you're in, you need to work hard to make sure that you don't go back out. Yeah. It's interesting, um, it's, it's interesting to me that there seemed to be a, a differential, and I'm not downplaying Walter Smith's team in any way, shape, or form. They were consistent winners, and they were based on some really talented players. But I think the general feeling with Rangers fans is that Advocat brought probably the best brand of football that the club has ever seen. Certainly for me in, in the modern era, uh, era, I think it's the it's the best level of football uh, that, that we've played with some great players. Behind the scenes, was was that a feeling that was known within the club, or was it? Was it, it must have been an exciting time with the outlay of the money, this new manager. Yep. But I'm interested yep. as well in terms of Advocat's style. So I can imagine he must be a lot, would have been a lot more directive than maybe Walter Smith, who was a bit more arm around the shoulder and man management style. Is, is that fair or do you find it different? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, Dick uh, was, oh yeah, he would be direct um, and he would be screaming and telling you, you got to do this, you got to do that. You know, he was that directive in, in, in that way. Uh, but I think, as you uh, as you got to to know him, the, the longer period, you kind of saw a 
um, uh, a softer side of him, one-on-one -on -one man management. Uh, and again, and 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 I liked him because he told you as it is. He wasn't, um, you know, pulling any walls over your eyes or anything like that. He he didn't bullshit you. Um, but on the training field, Jesus, you couldn't uh, you couldn't put a pass wrong. Uh, and and probably in that regard, with uh, with uh, with Walter, he was probably a little bit uh, uh, less demanding in in, in that uh, in that regard. He he wasn't as as strict. Uh, but again, that's you know that's how the the, the Dutch are in in that. So the trainings were quite fierce and uh, ferocious uh, in in both instances, um, and um, it was uh, it was healthy. It must have been some season to be part of because he sweeps into power. Next thing you know, you've got your hands on a treble, which is absolutely sensational. Get us to that three 0 game against. Celtic at Parkhead. What was your feelings leading up to that game? I'm, I'm just really interested that there's such media focus in Scotland on those fun games anyway, but this was a chance to win the the title in Celtic's backyard. What, what was going through the players' minds? What was the message from, from Advocat? So that first season plays out, incredible treble, um, you get your hands on, on all the domestic silverware. The highlight probably being, certainly as a, as a Rangers fan, both home games have got a massive build-up anyway, but yeah. a chance to win the title in Celtic's backyard. Yeah. You go out, uh, you know, storming, a storming game. Um, I think probably tip my cap to, to Neil McCann that day as, as well. But I'm just interested the build up to like I said the build up to no fun games massive anyway but yep. that pressure what was going on behind the scenes at Rangers was it a case of stay calm just go out and let the, the football do its own yeah yeah exactly it was uh, well, what I can remember was yeah normal build up what is a normal build up in an old firm game um, but the the pressure was was more on them because they didn't want to be the team who uh, Lost to their biggest rivals and and handed them the uh, the championship. So, um, but again, leading into that that whole season, we we as you said, we played some fantastic football, um, and we just had that belief that as soon as we stepped on the lot over the line, that we were going to win, uh, and that was the belief uh, and the trust with the coaching staff and the players that uh, we we just felt that we'd win every game. Um, and, uh, and and that day was was an exceptional day. Um, as I said, we we stayed in control, and that was the main thing: not to get uh, distracted, not to get carried away. Control can control your emotions because uh, uh, if you lose lose control of that, then you might as well win the game. Uh, and that's what happened. Um, quite a few of their players lost uh, lost the plot and. Um, um, the moment the occasion got caught got ahead of them than the uh, than the game itself, and uh, we made sure we we focused on the game. It certainly seemed that that way uh, that the Celtic players got caught up in the the expectation and pressure from their fans, whereas you guys just went out. I think Neil McCann has referred to it before as uh, fire in the belly, eggs in the veins, um, which is a, a great quote, mm. which 
if this wasn't a public podcast, I would have tried to have stolen and passed off. I'll give me a lead show there. Um, in, in terms of going out, win the match, just do the job. Next thing you know, you're 2 0 up at half time. Mm. Celtic fans are going, are going crazy. Um, BWCF should probably have got the, a red card for that Stonewall penalty uh, on, on a certain Tony Bidmar as well. Um, <laughs> I'm really interested. You've played your own firm games. You've went through some big games, obviously in Holland as well. But you've got fans trying to get on the pitch. You've got Hugh Dallas getting struck by a coin. Um, yeah. I imagine you've never seen anything like that. From a, a player's perspective, though, I know you're conditioned to concentrate on the game, concentrate on the game. Don't take you know any view of what's happening. Surely that's impossible with a game like that. Yeah, yeah. Who said uh, football is boring? It's uh, it. As you said, there were those elements that you actually were were afraid of, because as you said, there were some supporters who ran on the field and you didn't know which direction they were going to come from. So, uh, as you said, it kind of it. There was a little bit in the back of your mind that uh, something something could go. Uh, astray in, in, in that way where more supporters come on or you know at the end of the game they were throwing a whole lot of coins at us when we were when we we're coming off the field so um, it was uh, definitely a, a scary moment um, throughout uh, throughout the game but uh, as you said at two and a half time I think we we were in control of the game and uh, we were probably the ones who would would have lost the game if on our own, not uh, from uh, from Celtic outplaying us. Yeah, I think one of the most controlled performances I've seen, especially in that kind of hotbed. Uh, I should give a, a shout out to Hugh Dallas as well. You know, we can all criticise referees sometimes, but the pressure on him to mm. and the bravery to give that penalty after having just been struck by the coin and the being mob from the from the fans is exceptional. Yep. So you know. I think it's that. Was he? It's really interesting, actually. Was what was his demeanour and performance like for the rest of the game, uh, having been struck, looked after? Did, was there a noticeable difference to him from the players? Or uh, not really. No, no. You, you, yeah. As you mentioned, you, you kind of don't really talk about about referees if they had. You know, he he had he did what he had to do, and uh, considering being hit by a coin. Uh, in in that kind of regard, you know, because you know that's the last thing you think of that uh, a referee would be hit. So for him to continue on says a lot about the person. Uh, and it, uh, it it looked like it uh, it didn't affect him in, uh, in in finishing off the game. It's also a, so the game finishes. You get that really iconic moment. And because the camera switches to you at, at the end of the game, you drop to your knees, you get the, the ball there, uh, and then there's a, there's a huddle. I'm just wondering from, from you, so straight, obviously I'm a Rangers fan, I love to see uh, mm. Rangers players doing their huddle at Parkhead, having just um, you know, <laughs> won the title. I mean, that, that story's never going to get bad for me. I'm just interested in Tony Vidmar, though, you're standing there, you're seeing the, the corner and the support, because that's where they, they, they always put us. Yeah. This is, what, 10 months, roughly? Uh, you've got, you know, a treble coming up. 10 months after, essentially being told, listen, get get out, 
in the mm. that, that there is theirs. Did yeah. that personal journey, does that, did that come back to you in that moment? Uh, is there a wee bit of vindication for you? Um, no, not, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's uh, for me, it was part and parcel of football. That's and that's how how it was. You, you know, you get dealt uh, a bad hand, and uh, you just you know dust yourself and, and continue on and, and go on. And and I think I probably go back to you know, the few years back in Belgium where it wasn't going well. So it was kind of like, okay, this is I don't know how football is. Things can change, and, and that was you know going back that uh, 10 months, it was, things will change, something will happen, uh, a decision is made in the morning and then it may be changed in the afternoon. So that kind of was in the back of my mind, but no, it was uh, just, yeah, the, the season was uh, was unbelievable. Uh, as you said, 10 months earlier, I probably wouldn't have expected to, uh, let alone play one game, but to, uh, to be involved in uh, winning three titles was uh, something uh, something special. Do you remember anything of the party that night, or is it all just a all just a blur? Oh God, it's all a blur. I think there was a few of those that are just a blur. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I uh, look to win three 0 at uh, at your rivals and to, to be champions is uh, that's special. That is, you know, winning the title is fantastic, but to uh, to do it to, in their backyard is uh, is was great. It was a great feeling and. Uh, um, yeah, but uh, it's something that uh, you never forget, well, and I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure the uh, supporters uh, who were there in the in the stadium or outside watching were uh, will still be uh, talking about that as well. Yeah, I think we've never forgotten it, and they've never recovered from it. Uh, is the, would, would be my take on that one. So <laughs> happy with the memory. So I'll, I'll I'll fast forward then, and I'll take us to what I think is probably your high watermark in terms of when somebody mentions Tony Van Maal Rangers influence Frank Kamara Palmer and I think that's always going to be be the case I mean there's lots of trophies in my pocket obviously but it's just one of those games that sits up and for me the best atmosphere I've ever encountered at at Ibrox it was a wall of noise uh, that night and you know for some of our younger listeners who maybe didn't realise what that Palmer team looked like You've got guys like Cannavaro, Buffon, Ortega, Davayo, and I would personally say as well the massively underrated Alan Bogosian uh, mm-hmm. in that, that team as well. But it probably links back to what you were saying earlier. Rangers were playing a brand of football that was fantastic, but also had that feeling that of invincibility you, you were touching on there. Of we can go and we can actually yeah. beat anybody, not only in the, the physical aspects, but we are so talented we can play round about them as well. Yeah. Inside the camp, were Palmer a different prospect, or was this a case of no, we're going to show everybody in Europe as well? Well, the one thing the one thing we were aware of is that they were in their preseason, so we were I don't know three or four games into our competition, so we kind of had that match fitness or match harden that they didn't have. So for us, was all right. Let's just throw the kitchen sink at them. See what, uh, see if they can cope with it or deal with it, because we knew that they won't, wouldn't be able to to last, you know, the full game. Um, so it was throw everything at them, but also that belief and that uh, that we can we can go on the field and, and match it with anyone. 
uh, and that night there was uh, was yeah the, the European nights were special, but that definitely was as an atmosphere was uh, was unbelievable, um, and that's why you wanted to play for a club like Rangers because of because of those nights. And it's you know crashing one into the back of the net. Uh, you know you cut inside, you hit it. You know I'm not entirely sure it takes a deflection anymore. Oh, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't lie in that. It did take a deflection. Yeah, but so, it, but it, it, it still go, it, it still went in. <laughs> it beats a, a hat trick in a pre-season friendly against Livingston. So, well, I think we can call this your high water mark. That's right. The Livingston hat trick was uh, was not bad. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've done the research, so. <laughs> you have, you have done it. That's I was great. Going to, I was going to actually just leave and not speak about Parma at all, but um, yeah. I, I, I figured people might be more interested in the Parma game than the. I think, it was, I think it was. I think it was three and fifteen minutes or something like that. It was pretty no, quick fire. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that's that's spot on here. I'm going to go back and check my records no. after this. Look at yeah. Yeah. Now back to Parma. Yeah. yeah. It, it hits the back of the net against. Yeah. Definitely talking about Parma here, right? Yep. <laughs> it's the back of the net. I, I've heard some comments as well from um, people like Buffon that say that you know they weren't expecting it. They also weren't expecting you know the noise, the atmosphere. They also weren't yeah. expecting a, a Scottish team to play as well as they did. Did you guys get that feeling, or were there any comments from their players after the game that that they'd encountered that because they did look a little bit shell shocked during that? And it's always yeah. apparent when you watch it back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I agree that they weren't expecting uh, for us to play that brand of football. Uh, they were probably expecting, you know, a bit more direct, uh, physical, uh, and that was probably their preparation. Because um, and just going ahead to the second leg, it was a totally different team. They were an extra couple of weeks uh, or an extra week of, of training and playing a game, and that, that was a different uh, proposition. Um, they they were. Um, probably shocked completely from the first leg, uh, and they needed to do something in that second leg. But uh, again, yeah, they were definitely they weren't expecting that uh, from us. And, and again, the whole the whole atmosphere and uh, the whole thing about that night was uh, something that you, you you won't forget. Yeah, I mean, a, a top a top side that that Papa team it has to be has to be said. So um, you know, two good legs that live long in the memory, and uh, and putting a team like that um, out of the way. Is, is no no mean feat, and um, particularly with what some of their players went on to, to achieve anyway. Yeah. So we fast forward, hit the fast forward button again, and we get into that difficult third album, uh, so to speak, when it comes to, to Advocat. And I suppose for me, this is probably the first time that I understood or started to get a, an understanding of that, you know, managers working cycles. Mm -hmm. Things. It's really the real difficulty of management, and you maybe find this now you're yeah. more on the coaching side, etc. That it's difficult to build a team, maintain a team, rebuild it whilst you're also still winning things. And Rangers being yeah. you're there that you don't get a second chance. You need to constantly be winning things uh, yep. whilst also circulate. What was the feeling inside the camp? There's been lots of talk um, from other other players, people behind the scenes that. It became a bit more creaky. The Dutch players were more relied on. Ronald De Boer himself had, had, had said to me that Advocat maybe started to take more on 
told from, I take to heart what was being said in the press about this and the team. Were you guys feeling that as well? Yeah, it was definitely a different uh, different atmosphere in the, in the change room. I think there was a lot of, uh, the, and probably the one thing I looked at it was there was a lot, lot of players who came in uh, and on top of that success that we had the last, uh, the last few years. Um, and not saying that the players who were successful in those couple of years were coming to the end of their careers or, or not playing well. Um, it kind of, yeah, it, it became messy. In, and, and I'm still trying to work out because someone else has asked me that question a while ago about it. And I'm just thinking that new players came in and I think a, a lot of people didn't know where they stood. And I think in those last two seasons, everyone knew where they stood. Uh, so it become that, well, what's going on? And I think that became the distraction uh, and probably uh, the press were starting to uh, get on the back of, uh, of Advocate. And uh, I think he took that probably personally um and so that probably triggered that as well because that uh, that season wasn't uh, wasn't great um and and they're probably the, the, the probably the two things as i said that players came in they didn't know what was happening the, the players who were there didn't know what was happening so it was an unknown no one knew what was happening team team changed um and there was no cohesion as it was in the in the previous two years yeah they certainly seemed to seen from the outside from a fan's perspective that it was a bit rudderless but that there has also been not a drop in quality in terms of some of the players coming in not being dismissive of them but some yeah. strange decisions of people coming in maybe to do with nationalities having something to do with that as well yeah but also that maybe not a drop in quality maybe a, a drop in the consistency of ability to deliver yeah um, that seemed to just knock the team right off course and then established players being moved aside for people coming in for a, yep. a couple of games. Yep. It seems as though that, that was affecting you guys. Yeah, it, it definitely was. It definitely was. There wasn't. It wasn't the same belief. There wasn't the same. We walk on the field. We're going to win. There was that doubt. And as soon as you have a doubt on the, you walk on the field. Then that's that's the kind of performance that you're going to put in. You may put a great performance in, but then you may have three weeks of terrible performances. Um, so as players, you, you know, and that was the one thing that, as I said in the beginning, that what I liked about Dick was he was direct. He was straight to the point. And I felt that probably in that season it was a little bit sideways a little bit he wasn't he wasn't sure what to, what team he wanted to put out there uh, and that and i think that affected uh, the the season mm, yeah i think it was obviously lots lots going on there and then he moves upstairs into yep. the uh, um you know upstairs director's role so to speak and probably the best way best way to put it there um and in comes alex mcleish who has been in, in hibs who would have been aware of, or maybe not in a one-to-one -one person, is it? Totally different style from Dick Abacar. Um, more of a, from what I, I'm led to believe, more of a man managing and arm around the shoulder, maybe more akin to Walter Smith than, a, than, a, than Abacar. Mm -hmm. What was his impact yep. on the dressing room straight away? Because we end up, obviously, with that cup double. Yep. Yep. Oh, look, he, uh, he definitely brought something different. Uh, as you said, the, man, the management side, I think, as well. And I think that's probably what the players um, uh, craved for, I think. Uh, and having three years with, with Dick, it got to a point where 
uh, things changed and 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 he was he was probably the the change that uh, the the players needed uh, and they were they were ones who who worked for him he gave them the belief he gave them you know the confidence uh, put the team which he felt was each week which which was going to win the win the game and the players went out and, and done that um, so I think that definitely uh, changed in, in in a way that. Uh, uh, the players, the players appreciated. Yeah, and like I say, we end up with that that cup double, including the famous uh, last minute winner from from Peter Lovingtrans. Uh, I know you were on the the, the bench that day, but yep. um, I'm sure you managed to access the the beers uh, on, the, on, <laughs> on, the, on the match. Um, you know, you pull on a strip, you're allowed to access to the the cold ones. Yeah, but that's a real high. So you've cycled yep. through a hell of a lot in your Rangers career. You've been told to go. You've been yep. training with the reserves. You've fought your way back in. You've proved your worth. You've won the treble. You've got another cup double in your, in your back pocket as well. I think it's fair to say McLeish was brought in for a host of reasons, one of them being that the financial aspect of the club was starting to become more apparent. I'd be interested to know how much of that was known to the players and if that was affecting anyone if you're keeping in one eye on it because ultimately it's your job as well you need to you need mm. to be paid but then you're told that you can you can go was that a surprise to you or was there an expectation that you were going to be staying on and signing a new contract and then maybe it changed because of the money aspect and that's not to say you asking for any you know yeah yep. things i'm just saying the club not being able to to match up to what a player of, of your caliber would expect yeah, well, before uh, Dick went upstairs, when he was still coaching, we we sat down and uh, because I think the months before before that there was talk that I was leaving, I was I was going to another club, and then uh, Dick came to me and spoke to me and said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I, I'd like to stay. I want to stay. Uh, he goes, you don't want to leave? I said, no. I said, I don't even know where that's come from, but uh, I'm happy here. Um, don't want to uh, move on. So he said, all right. That's good to know. We'll uh, uh, we'll, we'll make a deal, uh, and we'll get that sorted. So he goes, just leave it with me. Uh, so that was before he went upstairs, and then when he went upstairs, that was uh, months. We were still waiting to find out what was happening, uh, and there was probably a little bit of an inkling about uh, financially what was happening at the club. So whether that had an impact. Um, so. It was, I think, even to the week of the cup final when Alex called me into the office and said that, uh, he, he said to me, I'll post have changed, uh, we can't uh, offer you a contract. So, and that was it. So, never got to a point where discussing what the contract would be or anything like that. Uh, and that was and that was disappointing because speaking to Dick months before, we, we agreed that uh, I would stay on. So, at that stage, didn't look to... Um, to find a new club or anything like that, so uh, that came out of the out of the blue, which was uh, which is disappointing. But uh, again, I think that was probably the financially. I'm not sure. I, I could be wrong in that uh, in that regard. Yeah, it, you know, not to put words in, in your mouth. My own opinion would be that that sounds like not the best way to to have handled the conversation if you've been given one uh, view of something, you're left. And then, like you say, you yep. assign your agent to, to go out and go to the market or have another conversation and see what is achieved with the club. Next thing you know, yep. uh, often thanks for the memories. 
know, off you go. So disappointing, you know, I think it's probably disappointing for you personally, certainly disappointing uh, from a fan's perspective that they just stay alive for you. And then you go, you know, you Middlesbrough, and you Cardiff, um, you know, laudable clubs, I think it's probably fair to say with all due respect to them, not of the same size uh, or expectation mm. um, yeah. of, of Rangers. And then, you know, back to Breda and, and then back to Australia. In my, my research, I was really interested, uh, and this is a, you know, more of a personal pointed question as we come towards the end of, of, of this interview. You have a, a heart skill. And I'm wondering what goes through a player's mind or any athlete's mind. This is, you know, people have heart skills or have health issues all the time, but it's slightly different with a player because you're told that this could absolutely end what you've done all your life, i.e. you can't play anymore. And I'm, I'm wondering how, how that affects you. Do you reach out to other people in the game or how did you work through that? Um, I reckon... Probably for a few months, I was probably in denial. Didn't believe it was true, uh, which is probably not the, the best thing to uh, to do. Um, I, th I think it was it was a complete shock because you think you know you've been an athlete all your life, and uh, all of a sudden this is uh, this is going to stop you. So you didn't you didn't believe it. You thought it was still made up, and. Uh, uh, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember being in the car when I was after being in the hospital. I had to speak to the physio from from the national team, and uh, I said to him, "I said, no, nah, it's no good. They told me I've got to stop playing." And he goes, "Piss off! Stop, stop messing about." And I said, "No, nah, it's true. <laughs> it's true." So, yeah, it was totally out of blue, totally out of blue. So you don't know how it's. You're just in shock because you think it's not it's not happening. Uh, but then you go and see two different other cardiologists, specialists, and uh, they tell you the same thing. So they kind of think, well, okay, that kind of like puts your mind a little bit at ease. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a huge disappointment leading into uh, into a World Cup. Um, it would have been a fantastic way to uh, to finish off uh, finish off a career, but uh, was never meant to be. Um, and fortunately, they found it because uh, if if I continued on, then uh, could be in serious, uh, serious trouble. So uh, you look at it on that way that uh, your health is uh, important. And, and that's the thing, you, you think you're fit and healthy, but uh, things like that can happen. Yeah, as you say, it would be nice to have went out on your own terms uh, mm -hmm. at a World Cup, yep. as opposed to having it slightly taken away. But health and fitness first, it seems, I imagine, all good now, fit and healthy. Yeah. Fit and healthy, yeah, yeah. Get uh, get tested uh, every year. So uh, I've been uh, even in this uh, in this lockdown. I've been uh, training with my kids. So for the last uh, six weeks, I've uh, shed a few kilos and feel a lot fitter. So <laughs> this is this has been a good thing. Kilos have worked their way around the world and have landed on me. To be honest with you, yeah. Lockdown performance when it comes to the fitness. Final, final question then. Um, looking in from the outside, Rangers at the moment, we've maybe a bit like a bit like that first season under Walter Smith. We had a really yep. good uh, first half of the season, and then yep. scaled right off after after Christmas. Is that something 
you know, and appreciate you not, you know, inside that dressing room. But is that something that a team just has to win something to get out of the way? Once you get something in the back pocket, is that is that when a team really cements itself? Because certainly that's the feeling amongst the support that this Rangers team under Gerard just need to get a trophy in. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a good point. It actually is a good point because, as I said, I've, I've watched some games this season, and that first half of the season was uh, was very good. Uh, and now it came to a point where it just kind of fizzled, uh, unfortunately. Um, and and that's because uh, you know you felt the first season under him, it was he was going to find his feet and and work work with the group of players he had and then second year he, he could bring in some players and then you kind of felt that this was the this is the opportunity but you know you've got to you've got to go through the whole season uh, and you know I think we had that uh, in that first year with uh, with Avocat that uh, I think we got to you know February and we kind of fumbled a little bit but you know got the got the trophy then so you've you've probably got to ride through those tough periods uh, and probably play ugly win ugly uh, and then that uh, that builds a mark of a, of a good team and uh, maybe it's something like that that uh, they they need that uh, you know a little bit of luck on the way as well uh, but uh, look you hope you hope that uh, uh, a championship is not far away because uh, as you said they started off really well um, and who knows? It could be, you know, you knew once, once they came, once he came there, it was always going to take him a few years to uh, to to get to, you know, competing at, uh, you know, to be one or two through through the competition. Yeah, uh, and obviously Scottish football at the moment going through the the um, the farcical infighting with votes to end the league and emails disappearing and yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time in Scottish football. So, being uh, not a man of my word, obviously, final final question, um, which I, I did see <laughs> a moment ago, uh, and it's uh, I did really want to speak about your your, uh, your role at the uh, the South Wales the Australian national team as well in terms of assistant manager. Yeah. Um, I'm just we we had a conversation with let's say Ronald De Boer and we'd spoken to the Rangers as well in terms of some of the work that's been done behind the scenes to keep players updated with webinars and clips. Are you guys doing that from the national side as well? Or is it slightly different when it's not a club day-to-day relationship you have? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit uh, different in, in, in that way. Um, we, uh, with the national team, we, we meet together every, every couple of weeks because again, International football is probably on the uh, on the back burner of uh, of FIFA's uh, minds at the moment. I think uh, club football is probably the number one at this stage. So, in that uh, regard, it's on the on the back burner. I do some work with the uh, with the twenties as well. Twenties national team. I help help them out. So we're we've kind of uh, meeting every week and discussing and doing some kind of form of video analysis on games that we've done with those teams and those players. So. Yeah, yeah, you come a little bit. You try to come a little bit creative, trying to uh, keep them, keep them busy. But it's also difficult because you know you only get them when it's international duty. So they're with their club, so their focus is with their club. So it's a little bit weird the way that it's uh, that is that is happening at the moment uh, in in football. Uh, but hopefully that uh, slowly changes. In closing, then any message for the Rangers fans? Listening. Well, 
I would like to uh, wish them all the best and it's all they're all safe there and then uh, once uh, football gets up and running again that uh, they're out uh, supporting as they were back in the uh, the 90s and early 2000 when I was playing there uh, best bunch of uh, supporters and um, hopefully that uh, success is uh, not far away Tony, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it, and my, my thanks again for uh, for making time to speak to us. Uh, I will make sure that all the toilet paper that you ask for and your, uh, <laughs> your full form uh, uh, email gets gets sent to you uh, immediately. Yeah, three. It's three ply. It's got to be three ply. Yeah, toilet paper. Looking like a real treble winner there. Or it's nothing at all. <laughs> Listen. It's been absolutely brilliant, and like I say, I'd just like to thank you for your time. Uh, it's uh, it's been uh, a real pleasure to speak to you. I've been Thomas McIntyre. This has been this is Ibrox Interviews, and you've been. You know, Who am I? Said, nobody ever says it when I do that at the end. When I, I hope you're going to say their name. <laughs> so I'm going to say. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm going to do this again for the sake of continuity, right? But I'm not going to edit it. I've been Thomas McIntyre. This has been this is Ibrox interviews, and you've been Craig Moore. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever play for no. no. How did you get into this Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. No, and I'm Tony Vidmar. Thank you.